And welcome to this UK Column interview. I'm Mark Anderson, US correspondent for UK Column. And this is my second interview I'm conducting on this channel. And I'm proud to say that my guest today is Pastor Matt Truella. He's from Wisconsin. I believe it's the greater Milwaukee area. And Matt is known for speaking on the doctrine of the lesser magistrates, a very important concept in terms of civics, government, Christianity, and how these things dynamically work together. And he has written a book to that end. And welcome, Matt, to UK Column. Hey, it's great to be here with you, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Uh, great to have you. Now, I've been watching this for several months now. It caught my eye, definitely. I've done three reports, two of them before your August 12 presentation in Angola, Indiana. Then I covered that. And I went from there, and now uh, I'm covering it in a broader sense. Uh, those reports were more punctuated, five, six, seven-minute reports that I've done leading up to and after Angola. And I've learned a lot, and what it has shown me, and more importantly, what it has shown the greater communities in Ottawa County, Michigan, Lapeer County, Michigan, other parts of Michigan, other parts of the country, it's reverberated through Illinois, and you even just got done speaking in Northern Ireland, and I'm sure listeners will take great interest in that. Uh, what it has shown is that there is a mechanism here that's been around a long time. Perhaps it's been laying dormant a little too long. And the doctrine of the lesser magistrates um, enables people to address the evils of our day in a constructive way, in an effective way, a way that actually works. Uh, rather than feeling like like the world is hopeless, like it's falling down all around us, we have a mass media syndicate or mass media cartel, as I call it, that is generally hostile to true constitutionality and especially hostile toward having any kind of involvement of Christianity in civic affairs. But as you've been saying in your in your book and in your presentations, uh, Christianity has a place in daily life in our civic affairs. So please explain a little bit about who you are and the basic framework of this doctrine, and we'll go from there. I'm a pastor here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I've been pastoring at Mercy Seat Christian Church for 35 years now, um, congregation of about 250 people. Um, me and my wife have been married 42 years. We have 11 children. We have 34 grandchildren now, and we just found out three weeks ago that now we're great-grandparents. So God has blessed us amazingly. Um, and I've done 15 months in jail for interposing at the doors of death camps at abortuaries where they murder the preborn, um, you know, prayerfully, nonviolently interposing, placing ourselves between the child that's threatened with death and the abortionist that wants to murder the child. Um, so, yeah, then I wrote this book on the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate, and it's taken off. It's sold over 130,000 copies now. Um, it's impacted not only American civil government matters and politics, but it's been impacting the African continent and uh, Western Europe also. Fantastic. Very, very interesting. I didn't know that it had been uh, effect for and even Europe. Uh, it's reverberating uh, quite widely, more so than I thought. Now, the basic doctrine, explain how it works. Explain the basic mechanism, if you would. Sure. Well, the doctrine is simply that when the higher-ranking civil authority makes unjust or immoral 
law, policy, or court opinion, the God-given right and duty of the lesser civil authority is to not obey, and if necessary, to actively resist the superior authority. I often use a quote from Emperor Trajan, who is actually a higher authority, and he was giving a sword to one of his subordinates, and he said to him, use this sword against my enemies if I give righteous commands, but if I give unrighteous commands, use it against me. So that's the doctrine in a nutshell. When the superior civil authority behaves lawlessly, does evil, the duty of the lesser authorities is not blithe compliance. Rather, their duty is what we call interposition, where they use their lawful office to stand in between the tyrant superior authority and the people who they represent. This is massively important. And it goes to the UK. John Knox wrote the foremost treatise on the doctrine of the lesser magistrate in his 1558 appellation to the nobles of Scotland. The nobles were the lesser magistrates of their day. He cites over 70 passages of scripture to show that this doctrine is sound in the word of God. And not only is it um, sound in the word of God, but it's natural to man. As I mentioned, Roman Emperor Trajan just a moment ago. Also, I begin my book with a story about uh, Emperor Caligula, who got mad at the Jews. So he sent word to the governor of Palestine, Publius Petronius. He was the governor. And he ordered him to put a statue in the um, temple there in Jerusalem in order to get back at the Jews and to desecrate their religion. Well, the Jews got word of this, and they went to Governor Petronius and said, don't do this. This is a great evil. And lo and behold, he said, no, I want to live. I'll obey the emperor. <laughs> so these Jews didn't just go home, though. They were tenacious, and they kept coming back. And at one point, um, there were thousands of them remonstrating and speaking to him and hoping he would take action. He finally removed himself to Ptolemy. They followed him there. And finally, he invited them into an arena. And um, they had, um, prior to this, told him, kill us now because we cannot live with the statue of the emperor being placed in our temple. So after they had told him that, he invites them into this arena. And Josephus writes about all this, the historian Josephus, who was a contemporary of that time. And when they enter into the arena, there's 12,000 Roman soldiers standing there. So the Jews come in a little trepidatious because of their last meeting with the emperor, I'm pardon me, with the governor, and there's about 10,000 of them. So get it, all the Jews are here, 10,000 of them, all the Roman soldiers are here, 12,000 of them. Governor Petronius is up in front of them. He reads the law of the emperor, which disobedience is death, he rolls up the scroll and he walks down and literally stands in between the Jews and the Roman legions. And he declares that he will not place the statue in the temple in Jerusalem and that he'll use all his authority and all his influence to convince the emperor to rescind his order. That's what we call interposition. Interposition is where you stand in the gap between the oppressor and his intended victims. When it comes to the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, 
the lesser civil authority uses their lawful office to stand in interposition against the tyrant superior authority and the people the lesser authority represents. Well, here's what ends up happening. Um, Governor Petronius writes a letter to Emperor Caligula asking him to rescind his, his law and his order. Caligula, in good tyrant fashion, when he receives it, sends letter back by ship, and this was all done by boat, to Governor Petronius ordering him to kill himself, which wasn't unusual in those times when a subordinate didn't, didn't obey a superior. Fortunately for Governor Petronius, just two weeks after the ship left with word for Governor Petronius to kill himself, Caligula's Praetorian guard assassinates him. And fortunately for Governor Petronius, the ship carrying word for him to kill himself arrived after the ship carrying news that the emperor had been assassinated. Governor Petronius lived. The statue was never placed there, showing, again, not only is this doctrine found in the word of God, but when you read the history of man, even in non-Christian or non-Jewish nations, you see that men have acted upon it, showing it's natural to man also. You have explained to me and to many audiences that it works both ways. Uh, let's say in the United States, not only can a county official interpose if a state or federal law or official is out of line, but it can go the other way where a higher official can interpose if a lower official is out of line. So it can go bottom up or top down, correct? That is correct. And I have a whole chapter in my book um, on that very situation uh, when that takes place, because there are times when the lesser authorities are doing evil and the superior authorities then have a duty to rein them in their evil, rein them in and from their evil. Now, when you look at what you're talking about here and you think about how this will reverberate in society, you spoke to five Michigan counties this past spring and the prior year, 2022, in February, I believe it was, you spoke in a similar number of Michigan counties. And now that's my home state. I don't mind mentioning that. And um, my adopted state being Texas, my home state originally being Michigan. The uh, counties of Lapeer, Ottawa, Livingston, and at least one more, I want to say St. Clair, um, have one degree or another adopted the doctrine of the lesser magistrates. And one of the ones that sticks out in a great, uh, a great way, uh, to a significant degree that is, is Ottawa County in west central Michigan along the lake. And I've been reading up on that. There's a couple newspapers up there, the Grand Haven Tribune, the Holland Sentinel that are apparently under the same ownership, and some other online publications. And they're just having a tizzy here. Um, some citizens are too, the ones that believe the propaganda from those news outlets. But Joe Moss, I believe that's the head of the Ottawa County Board now, has made some strides there along with his allies on the board. They got elected and um, got a majority on that board in recent times. Yeah, diversity, equity, inclusion. They got rid of the DEI office, this politi politically correct, nonsensical thing that we hear about all the time. And other changes, uh, pretty fundamental changes. And uh, Joe Moss, the head of the board there in Ottawa County, has been enduring a lot of um, opprobrium, a lot of hit pieces in the media. And I noticed mm -hmm. last night when I did some research, I read up on it, and uh, they took a lot of uh, pot shots at you, shots over the bow, as it were, 
um, in recent times in in the weeks and months leading up to this new board being seated. But it's just amazing. I bring this up. Uh, we'll talk about media propaganda more a little later in this interview, but I bring this up now for the uh, amazing and immediate impact that this doctrine has when it's actually adopted. We'll talk a little bit about Illinois sheriffs in a moment, but that's what really hit me is not only the substance and structure of the doctrine, but when you actually plant the seed in the soil, it's a fast growing thing. It, it just spreads like wildfire. It, it's, yes. it's There's a dynamic to it. Absolutely. Yeah. And things have become so wicked in America that more and more people, Mark, are realizing they no longer have the convenience of being indifferent towards the unjust and immoral actions of their government, that they must engage and confront the evil and get involved in civil government matters um, because these are lawless men and they have perverted everything. They are declaring good to be evil and evil to be good. And by the way, have you noticed you live in an insane asylum at this point here in America. So I went over there last year, spoke to these five counties. They got fired up and um, they were already primed <laughs> because of the tyrants regarding um, both the uh, pandemic and also the steel. And But when they heard the doctrine, it resonated with them because what we've been put on for decades is this little hamster wheel by the two uh, parties, Republican and Democrats, and they all want you focused in on the presidential election. And that's what, and I've been telling people for 15 years, Mark, you have to quit getting distracted by their shiny object, the presidential election. If you read the constitution, the president has precious little power. I mean, so little power, you're like, why would I really want to run for that office? But the two political parties and the media have made the presidency into an emperorship. Well, our founders didn't mm -hmm. want it to be that way. They they um, established for us what's known as a federalism. I'm not talking about the federal government, I'm talking about federalism. In a federalism, all four of the great governments matter. Family government, church government, civil government, all which produce the fourth great government in the individual, self-government. And now... All of them have their own role, function, jurisdiction, and limits. But we now live in a statist hell, and so the state has invaded self-government. The state has invaded family government, and unfortunately, the churchmen have been playing the whore, and they've ceded civil uh, church government in a large way over to civil government. So we're in a really bad way um, right now. So people think they have to wait for the next presidential campaign, wait for the next Supreme Court appointments in order to see anything change. And when they learn about this doctrine, they realize, oh, no, there's something that can be done immediately. Understand a tyrant superior civil authority counts on the blithe compliance of the lesser authorities in order to get their evil down in the fabric of society. And when they don't have that any longer, that's when they know they have a fight on their hands. That's when they have to unleash their lapdog press who lies and is malicious and demonize and vilifies the good people while it makes the bad people look good. And that's what's been happening in Ottawa County and these other counties in Michigan is the media has been attacking them. Also, state government and federal government has been attacking them also um, for the stands that they have taken because they're not like these usual conservatives or usual Republicans who 
talk a good game, but then once they're in the office, you're like, so what are you actually doing? These men and women have actually been doing things. As you mentioned, abolishing the office of DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. So when these people actually take action like that, they become demonized and attacked by the superior authority. But this is part of the process. If good men don't take a stand against the evil the superior authority is doing, Mark, then the tyrant superior authority has the convenience of building the next plank of their tyranny. If good men take a stand against their evil, the tyrant superior authority has one of two decisions he can do. He can either draw back and rescind the evil he's done, or it forces him out of his lair and he has to show his fangs and then men more readily see them for the tyrants that they are. That's what's happening in Michigan right now. And they're doing a great job. I mean, these guys are passing resolutions for constitutional county. All the counties have done that, that have flipped their county boards. Um, Second Amendment resolutions, Second Amendment ordinances, um, removing uh, health director Nazis. They have been doing a great job up there. And if you live in Michigan, Mark, you guys are in for the fight of your life (laughs) because you guys are like at the you know, the tip of the spear for evil. What they did there in your state last year, changing your state constitution with evil decrees was now replicated in the state below you called Ohio just a month ago. And they're taking that show all over the country next year and the year after to even states like Florida and Missouri. I believe, Matt, you're referring to enshrining reproductive rights for abortion in state constitutions. Are you not? Is that what you're referring to? That's what I'm referring to. And not only those, but also the genital mutilation of children. That if your child's over 13 years of age, wants to change their sex, um, you have no say as a parent. In fact, you could come into conflict with the authorities and perhaps be arrested if you tried to prevent your 13-year-old or older from mutilating their genitals. You know, what you were talking about a little bit ago also has uh, prompted me to do a lot of study and reflection as a journalist and as an individual. And a lot of people don't think this way. Instead, they think, well, there's civil government. That's the only thing that's really government. And it has three branches, judicial, executive, legislative. But as you've correctly pointed out, and there's plenty of history to back this up, there are larger Uh, spheres of government. There is a larger uh, um, array of government. There is church government, family government, self-government, and finally, and really it should be the least important, civil government. Um, Mm -hmm. Civil government should only be a collective extension of family, self, and church government that has limited powers to do specific things. And so when you talk about civil government becoming overpowering, It has to absorb, usurp, hijack, or overthrow, or almost literally dissolve the competing forms of government, that being church, family, and self. So then all we have, in effect, is a overpowering civil government that has done that to the rest of the types of government, and it becomes this juggernaut. The media is on its side. Most of the big corporatocracy is in line with it, Uh, Pfizer, whatnot. Pfizer's uh, advertising dollars undergirds a lot of the TV stations. Um, 
it's really kind of bought and owned the media in recent years. And so what we're left with is just one form of operation that everyone thinks of as government. And it doesn't even occur to the average person that there's these other spheres of government that are actually not just equally important to civil government, but arguably more important than civil government. And so when you put these pieces back on the table and look at the whole thing, you go like I did, you go, whoa, wait a minute, stop the presses. We've been operating on the wrong premise for a long, long time. And that's what really struck me. Uh, your thoughts on that? No, I, I absolutely agree. And that's where we're at now. We're in a status tell where the state has looked for to cure every ill, um, to lead every direction that an individual takes, that the family. And understand what the state has done to family, for example, is, is monstrous. And, uh, you know, the reason they've attacked family is because every good status knows that in order to strengthen the state, you have to weaken the family. And that's been done by design here in America and throughout the West. Um, the attack is seen, for example, in no-fault divorce, that you can divorce for any reason or no reason at all. It's seen in abortion, that you can actually murder your own son or daughter. It's all meant to belittle and demean the institution of family, to demean and belittle family government. And the reason the status want it that way is because every good status knows that in order to strengthen the state, you have to weaken the family. And they've done it through law, policy, court opinion. They've done it by design. And um, that's why it's important for us to talk about all four of the governments and what a true federalism is, because people need to realize they live in the midst of a status hell, and they need to realize how important it is for them to pour into their families and um, and to be a part of church and those types of things. The state absorbs or overthrows these other types of government, and people yep. don't realize what they have. They don't realize what's at their disposal. If they realize that the state, what they know of as the state or the statist system, is just but one of several types of government, and the others are actually more important, then they'd be able to put it in perspective. So yet the state turns around and diminishes family through the policies that you just described. And it's also, yes. I would also argue, it's a depopulation scheme too, because another thing that's uh, dear to the hearts of tyrants and the recently torn down Georgia Guidestones attested to this is the depopulation of the world as well. Uh, it's, it's dear to the hearts of tyrants to have families weakened and populations culled as well. And I would argue that the abortion industry is about both, a direct attack on the family, a, an attack on the population itself, culling the herd, as it were. And it's incredible to me, especially with the abortion industry, and you see this through the mass media syndicate, that they can talk about not only that a woman you know, should have this choice, but they talk about it in such a way where the most defensive, defenseless human being you can imagine, a preborn child, is, is not even mentioned. There's not even the slightest acknowledgement of the humanity or personhood of the preborn child. So it shows not just that the state is anti-family, but is vicious about it. There's actually yes. a viciousness, a maliciousness that's almost hard to fathom. 
just because they don't come out with torches and burn our houses down, just because they don't come out and attack us like days of yore, maybe in some Caligula hell, uh, it's, it's almost worse that they keep us docile and meek and unable to defend the preborn, um, and, uh, you know, make us our own worst enemy in a way through our inaction, through our ignorance that they cultivate. Yeah. And they, they really demand men, um, through the abortion matter, for example, and, and many other matters. Every, every, you know, probate court, family court, divorce court, whatever it's called in your state, all designed against the men and to demand men to remove good manly virtues from men. And abortion's the same thing. I've seen men actually sit in front of the doors of the abortion clinic to keep their own preborn child from being killed by their girlfriends. They get arrested and taken to jail and their child is butchered. Um, and so men have lost one of the most basic virtues and innate natural affection for their, for their own sons and daughters by virtue of the fact that they've had the duty of being a protector removed from them. And and get this, Mark, they're not just um, doing it by, you know, abortion and divorce and the decriminalization of adultery on down the line to weaken family, but they also use money to weaken the family. They use money to win the allegiance of the children to the state and to make the people, you know, weak, like you're talking about, and dependent on the state. For example... The state feeds most kids breakfast and lunch now. Think of that. What are they doing? They're winning the allegiance of the children to the state, to look to the state for sustenance rather than to family and God. Um, when it comes to uh, you know college, look what they do. They give money to students so they can go to college. Tax the parents into the ground. Parents used to pay for their kids to go to college. Fewer and fewer do that because there are people in America have been taxed so heavily by the state who then takes some of that money and gives it to their sons and daughters. Again, what they're doing is, those are just two examples. They're winning the allegiance of the children to the state via the public purse, via the state purse. This is completely evil. And so it's incredibly important that mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, stick close together and pour into the lives of their sons and daughters and encourage them and get them to see um, how life should really be and be at war with these status dogs who are trying to destroy all of Western civilization simply because they hate Christ and Christianity. No matter where you speak, whether you're speaking in Northern Ireland or Michigan or anywhere in the world, the thing that a lot of people don't realize is the statist opponents of the doctrine and Christianity in general and the idea of Christian civics, the idea that religion or religious beliefs do have a place in our civic life. What they don't realize, sometimes, you know, not knowing what they're up against, is that the statist authorities that you're describing and the uh, butchery and the evils that they, that they practice they too have a religion, a statist religion, the religion of secular humanism. It's not like they're neutral and they're just democratic and, and they'll try and make it look like that. The media will say, well, the matrillas of the world are a threat to democracy, you know, and, but democracy as some civic structure 
is only part of what they're after. Of course, democracy has a lot of problems. When people are ignorant from the very media I'm talking about, they can vote themselves into slavery because, as I contend, there's nothing more dangerous than an uninformed vote, even if the elections are honest, which in, in a lot of ways they're not, but we won't go there. I digress. But it's not just that they put democracy over republic and trust this uninformed public vote. You know, trust trust an ignorant public, kept ignorant by the media, trust them to figure it all out. It's not just that. It's far more than that. They are practicing a secular humanist neo-pagan religion that actually calls for child sacrifice. And this yes. is borne out. If, if you study this close enough, you see it bubble to the top. And I'll mention this as I as I know this is part of the proof. Yesterday, last night, when I was researching some of this, one of the uh, uh, online media outlets, I won't dignify them by naming them, but they are um, undergirded and financed and produced by a foundation that is openly declared to be a free thought foundation, but free thought, free thinking is usually a euphemism for atheism, and it turns out that that's what this is. It's an atheistic religious foundation, a secular humanist pagan religion that is underwriting this media outlet that was very critical of what you and the Ottawa County Board are doing. And I contend that the mass media syndicate itself, including those West Michigan newspapers, wittingly or not, to be fair, wittingly or not, are promulgating and uh, uh, promoting and writing their things on the basis of a secular religion. So it's not like they're just Democrats and Democratic people who believe in democracy trying to ward off the theocracy of Matt Truella. No, that's not what it is. It's another religion competing with Christianity. It is, it is, a, right. it is a status religion, and they believe in an internationalist system that diminishes national sovereignty as well as the family. Very well said, and you're exactly right. And people need to understand, Mark, religion is inescapable. <laughs> religion is inescapable, and culture is religion externalized. Culture is religion externalized. Atheistic cultures, when we look at the history of mankind down through the ages, atheistic cultures always lead to statist cultures because man has this propensity within him to make something or someone God. And so if they reject the God of the Bible, then what they'd look to is the state to replace them. And yeah, the state becomes an awful taskmaster. If you look at the number of laws that England was under 500 years ago, yeah, you could fit all those laws on my table, my dining room table here. If you look at the laws we have now here in the country I live in, just the federal laws, you have to go in multiple rooms from the floor to the ceiling on multiple shelves to cover all the statutes and laws. That's because when you reject the God of the Bible and you do away with the importance of self-government and family government and church government, then the state makes more and more laws, partly because man becomes more and more lawless, but partly by design by the status because they want to have authority over everyone's life. Let me mention something here real quick. I have friends, Mark, who are part of the peaceful secession movement that, you know, all us normal, decent people live in certain parts of the country 
and all the psychopaths go live in another part of the country and we just mind our own business and don't have anything to do with each other. And I always tell them, it'll never work. You don't understand how totalitarians think. They can never rest until they have every inch of geography and every inch of your life. And you cannot appease them. You must defeat them. And that's what Americans need to understand because this Marxism and totalitarianism that is being fomented and pushed through um, higher academia, through the media, through um, countless um, you know, magistrates or politicians who exist at our time, yeah, they're not going to rest. They don't give up. You must defeat them. And so it's extremely important that we become engaged in order to defeat them. And part of the way we can do it is by implementing this doctrine of the lesser magistrate. Very important. Let's get into a little bit about your recent Irish tour. Uh, how did that go? Uh, where did you speak? What was the reaction? And um, you know, how is that playing out even now uh, after you've concluded? Maybe you're going to go back. Maybe you have other speaking engagements to announce. But how did it go in Northern Ireland? It went really good. I was speaking all across Northern Ireland from Londonderry to Portadown to Belfast and other places, obviously, all across Northern Ireland um, at churches, at conferences, um, even was uh, spoke at a rally out on the streets where um, scores of people had gathered in order to um, speak out against the evil that's being pushed upon them. One of the things I found out, Mark, um, from getting ready to go there and then being there talking to the people is that for about the last 40 years now, Westminster, you know, parliament over in England has been diminishing the powers and authorities of the lesser authorities there in Northern Ireland. And so, whereas here in America, even though everybody kind of thinks, you know, the federal government is the be all and end all, and we got to do whatever they say, you still have in place these intermediary governments, county government, local government, um, even state government. Um, and they're all still in place in order to check the evil of the superior authority, whether it be state government, whether it be federal government. Over there, they don't. They've diminished a lot of it. And so it was difficult being able to show them, but I was, <laughs> ways that they could interpose. Like they have these board of governors regarding all the filth and sexual immorality that they push on the students now. And a lot of this evil, the killing of the preborn there in Northern Ireland, and the evil of the sexual matters has really been happening just over the last four to five years. And so I told them these board of governors have to simply say no. They have to exercise the authority they possess and say no. Even individual teachers need to say no. And what's the role of the parents? The people have to prod their lesser authorities to do right, to confront the evil, to stop the evil, and assure them, this is the duty of the people, to prod them to do right, and then also to assure them that they'll stand with them four square, with their property, with their person, with their prayers, both publicly and privately. Because guess what? You can only keep backing up from tyrant dogs so long, and finally you have to plant your feet and take a stand against the evil. And while I was there, I took, um, um, I used some of the history of the United Kingdom, um, and I talked about. Uh, King Charles I. 
And I explained to them, whenever you give any human being or human institution unlimited, unchecked power, they will corrupt themselves. Look at Henry VIII. Yeah, he believed in what? That the king is law, (laughs) that everything was under his domain and his jurisdiction and everyone had to submit to it or he killed you and he killed hundreds. And then Charles comes subsequent to him, Charles I, and he believed what? That the king is law. Well, there were 11 MPs in 1629, just before Charles suspended parliament for 11 years. It was called the 11-year tyranny. And one of the men out of the 11 MPs was a guy called Sir John Eliot. John Eliot was an MP And he was kind of the leader of these men who understood as lesser authorities, we have to stop the evil of King Charles. I don't have time to go into all the evil of Charles I. Just get your history books out. You can read about it yourself. Well, 11 of them were all, the 11 of them were all put in the tower there in England. And lo and behold, five of them capitulated right away. Another four capitulated a few months on. John Eliot never capitulated, and Charles I treated him so badly, he died of tuberculosis, wouldn't even allow him to have any heat. And you know what England's like during the winter months. He died of tuberculosis. Historians credit, well, all the suffering that people were going through under Charles I in part, but they cite the suffering of John Eliot as being foremost in the minds of the people that led to Cromwell and the English Civil War and people in England completely turning it around from the king being law to the law is king. That's how important their interposition was. And that's how important the interposition is of men in Northern Ireland right now. You have to stop the evil, you have to confront it. You have to hazard your life and guess what? People suffer when stands are taken. That's a fact. When I interpose for the pre-born, I end up doing 15 months in jail. Um, But there was evil being done to these little helpless children, and I interposed on their behalf. You look at right now in our country, Mark, there's 23 Christians looking at up to 32 years in federal prison each for prayerfully, peacefully interposing at the doors of abortion clinic. The DOJ under Biden is going after them. One of them is an 88-year-old woman who as a child was in a death camp in Europe. And this is how our government's rewarding her. She's looking at 32 years in federal prison for simply interposing on behalf of the preborn child. You look at the J6 people here in our country, how they're being hunted by this government. Here, our you know, regime sitting over there by the Potomac committed an act of insurrection they accused the other the people who actually gathered to help try to prevent an insurrection as being the insurrectionists. I have a friend who just went to prison in October for a year, has a wife, four small children. He was dressed up as a Continental soldier. They have him on video the whole time. He walked into the Capitol building, did nothing, and walked out 20 minutes later. He goes to prison for a year. He's on paper for years after that, has to pay thousands of dollars. Just a month and a half ago, a man less than a mile from my house was arrested 
for being at the Capitol on January 6th. He's looking at 14 years in prison. This is two and a half years after the fact. Meanwhile, these BLM rioters, they're getting slaps on the wrist or nothing at all, or they're actually getting paid in some circumstances um, for what was done to them when they were actually doing vicious acts of evil, criminal damage, um, people dying, including here in our own state, in the city of Kenosha, massive four nights of um, rioting here. Anyways, my point is, when evil raises its ugly head, it has to be confronted, and people will suffer. But that's part of the process. And so the only thing that gives us strength to stand against evil and to be willing to suffer is our love for Christ and our love for our neighbor and our hatred for evil. Those are the things that give us the strength to stand. That's what gives us the grit to stand in the teeth of tyrants and remain faithful to Christ and confront the evils and the idols and the tyrants of our day. And it must be done. And it must be done in Northern Ireland. And they're feeling it. Um, the rioting that broke out there in Ireland itself, I spent two days down in the South in the Republic of Ireland. They were all talking about then how all these Muslims are being brought in. And they know exactly what's happened. Crime has risen. Rapes have risen. And bad things have been happening, and they see what their government's doing. And then here, the, this guy goes and stabs all these children. The people respond and take action. And there were some bad eggs in the midst of those guys responding, because you always have that, where you have lawless men who take advantage of something that's being done, just like you had to some extent with the J6 people in DC for their own devices. Um, but the majority of the people were out there for the right reason. And they were taking action because they saw their government is at war with them and is trying to destroy their nation. And so they responded. And what does the government do? They now demonize all the people in Ireland who actually took action. Even Conor McGregor God bless him, has spoken out and taken action. They threatened him to make him a criminal just for speaking. You have to understand evil has to be confronted and people will suffer when it is confronted, but that's part of the process. Read the history of man in order to see evil put down and good restored to a nation. As you're talking, Matt, and describing um, what happened in Ireland, and these reprisals by the state, uh, you see how the media cartel distorts things and becomes the handmaiden of this status apparatus. Uh, as a reporter, I tend to focus on that. Uh, for instance, the steel, you called it, as many have called it, in latter 2020, I interviewed, my first interview on UK Column, you're my second, uh, was with Garland Favrito. I'll mention that to viewers of this one now, of Voter GA, Voters Organized for Trusted Election Results in Georgia, and Garland has the goods. He has the solid proof of the steel in the state of Georgia, technical proof, um, not just circumstantial evidence, um, varieties of evidence, you know, a, a, a broad array of evidence of the steel. So the media operates on this idea that Trump, and it doesn't matter whether you like Trump or, or dislike Trump, we're just talking about a politician that ran for office. Uh, Donald Trump 
did not try and overturn the election. Donald Trump tried to intervene against those who had already overturned it. In a way, in a way, he was trying to interpose, maybe a little awkwardly, maybe not the right way, um, but he was trying to say, stop the presses, something's wrong. He didn't do the overturning. He felt, and there was evidence to support it, that it had already been overturned. This is the just dogged lie here in the States, the, the thing that the media just won't tell the people, that it appeared the election already had been overturned and Trump was trying in his own way to interpose. And uh, that's this huge um, blight on, on uh, an already completely untrustworthy media apparatus that, again, is a handmaiden to all you're talking about. In Northern Ireland and elsewhere, if we had a real press and UK column, thank God, is growing like crazy, uh, then people could begin to see the whole picture and it would actually make it easier. The state would be more hesitant to show its teeth and it would become maybe a little less rough and tumble to confront the status monsters that you describe. And, and so the media would give people, if it's a good media, a kind of backstop a, a way to soften the blow a little bit, to be a little bit more bold and therefore more effective. The state becomes hesitant to show its teeth. And then we gain even more ground in the cause of freedom. And so I can't emphasize enough uh, to the listeners, um, in, in, in combination with what Matt is saying, that the need to grow the a properly vetted, intelligent, uh, resourceful alternative media, if, if alternative media is the right word, maybe that's kind of a worn out title, but the need to grow a proper media in tandem with what's going on and with what Matt is describing, the, the dynamic of that would be so effective that you can imagine just how far back on their heels these tyrants would be pushed, Matt. And so um, naturally, I, I wonder, did you get any press in Ireland that you're aware of? Um, good, bad, or indifferent, or, or don't we know yet? Uh, may, maybe articles come out and you didn't have to see them, you know, in daily papers. Was there any attention by the media at all, or did they choose to ignore it as far as you know? As far as I know, they chose to ignore it. I don't know of any articles, and um, I don't seek that out anyway, because I know that they're dishonest and they're malicious. And the way this doctrine has been building, Mark, has really been flying under the radar. And they don't seem to get um, how powerful of a tool this is and um, how important it is, uh, you know, and the importance it's playing in, in the lives of men and women who are actually engaged in civil government matters. So, yeah, I don't seek them out. But you bring up in a very important point um, regarding what you said about Trump and the election. What we find is, and this happens down through history, that when people take a stand who are involved in civil government, they're attacked by bad actors who are also involved in civil government. And that is was seen and is being seen with Donald Trump. And that has been seen and is being seen with these counties in Michigan, where you reside, where they're being attacked and demonized. Um, um, by other politicians, but also, like you said, also the media themselves. One of the counties, Lapeer County, has actually created their own newspaper because it's so bad 
how the media reports things, that they realized they needed to do that to communicate with the people regularly there in Lapeer County, Michigan. Like, and it's having an impact because last night, for example, Elmont Township, which is in Lapeer County, had 175 people there only because of them learning things from this newspaper that's now available in party stores and gas stations for people to pick up for free. So I agree with you fully that this has to take place within communities um, because, and here's another thing that's got to take place. People have to realize you have to be willing to let your reputation get smeared because these aren't honest people and they're going to make up lies about you. They're going to distort and maliciously say things about you. So you have to be willing to give up your precious little reputation. And it's important for those who aren't involved as civil magistrates getting attacked by the media, that they have the brains to understand this, that they understand that this is what's happening. These men and women are being attacked by a malicious, dishonest media that's acting on behalf of dishonest, malicious men. And as soon as people figure that out more and more, and I think to some extent they started figuring it out when Donald Trump came along, um, the more difficulty the press will have in just smearing everyone and painting the narrative they want to paint. But I agree with you, massively important that proper media is put into place within communities, however best that works for your community. In Lapeer County, they found that um, making a newspaper is the best way for them to communicate with the population there in Lapeer County. Yes, I started a newspaper of my own, a quick footnote, in 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005. It lasted into early 2006. It was called the Herald Republic, and it covered about a six or seven county area in southwest Michigan. We bled into Indiana a little bit. And I couldn't believe, as we kind of reinterpreted the news and gave it a broader perspective, some of it along the lines that we're discussing, I couldn't believe how quickly we got responses and advertisers. And the more advertisers we got, the more uh, wanted to get in on it. And those were some heady times. And uh, when you get a more truthful, honest, uh, no-holds-barred kind of product out to the public, they may seem docile, they may seem, you know, lethargic, maybe indifferent to what's going on. Maybe they've given up. But once you get something in front of them, visually like UK column or hard print like what I was doing back then, the reaction can be pretty swift and pretty dramatic, as I found out. Um, Some of the calls I got from the local congressional office were pretty nasty, (laughs) but uh, I knew we were doing well there. The doctrine of the lesser magistrates, I don't think we hit quite enough on the roots of it. Where exactly did that come from? Yeah, the doctrine was first formalized as a doctrine in 1550 in Magdeburg, Germany. Um, It's actually a a confession called the Magdeburg Confession that was published by Lutheran ministers, where they showed from the word of God and from history that their magistrates were right to defy the emperor, namely Emperor Charles V, who was a well-known tyrant. And... When Luther died in 1546, um, uh, Charles I wanted to bring all the Protestant lands back under Roman Catholic belief and rule. 
And there was only one city that stood in defiance of him, and that was Magdeburg, Germany. And so the ministers wrote this confession. Um, the magistrates themselves had been sitting under the pulpits of the ministers there in Magdeburg for um, decades. And they knew immediately what their duty was. So they wrote to the to the emperor and said, we're your best subjects. Um, and we will do right by you, except where you do wrong. And where you do wrong, uh, we will not obey you. And when you want to trample our religion, um, you are wrong in doing that. And so they took the stand that they did. Charles V ended up um, attacking Magdeburg. It was a 13-month siege. 468 Magdeburgers were killed and over 4,000 of Charles's men were killed. But in the end, they capitulated. Um, Charles capitulated to the Magdeburgers. They won. Um, the doctrine or the Magdeburg Confession, um, which was the first time the doctrine of lesser magistrate was formalized, was picked up by other other reformers, uh, Christopher Goodman, um, Theodore Beza, and particularly John Knox. And they furthered the doctrine in their writings and teachings, as I mentioned earlier about John Knox. He cited over 70 passages of scripture to show that the doctrine is sound in the word of God. And it's not just some archaic doctrine, Mark, you know, that was great for back then. It needs application today. And we've been seeing it get application today. You've been seeing it in your state there in Michigan. Um, another state, for example, is Illinois. Um, back in May of 2020, you may recall when all these governors were acting like little emperors coming out with new edicts out of thin air, like every 72 hours. Governor Pritzker of Illinois in May of 2020 came out with his latest little edict, which was no businessman can open their business now until I say you can open your business. The whole COVID thing was going on, right? And then he said this, and if any of you open your business before I say you can open your business, you'll now be arrested and charged with a crime. Well, the next day in a state with 102 counties, only one county gathered their board together and they put out their own decree. And that was Madison County sits right on the Mississippi River directly across from St. Louis. And their, their decree declared our businessmen are free to reopen now. And it declared we will use all our authority and all our power to protect our businessmen. And then they cautioned the governor and the state not to interfere with their businessmen. Well, in good tyrant fashion, Pritzker responded the next day with a press, re a press conference where he detailed how he was going to remove all of Madison County's federal money, all their state money, he had a whole list of bad things that were going to happen to them if they didn't get with the program. In fact, he did that for three days in a row. But the men at Madison County stood resolute. They didn't flinch. And then seven days after Pritzker had made that decree, the Illinois State Police put out a press release stating, we will not arrest any businessman anywhere in the state who opens their business before Governor Pritzker says they can. Says they can. They had decided to stand with the men at Madison County. And the next day after that, yep. Governor Pritzker rescinded his order. Remember, he had two choices. He could either come out of his lair and show his fangs so people more readily recognize for the tyranny is, or he could draw back. He decided to draw back. So understand if it had not been for the interposition of that one county, 
the entire state would have remained under that draconian decree. Understand also that the man who heads up that county is a Christian brother. He had read my book two years earlier. He had taught it to the entire county board, and they knew exactly what their duty was in the face of that type of tyranny. In fact, Madison County has been a burr in the saddle of the tyrant Pritzker time and time again. In fact, the um, doctrine has spread so much through the state now that earlier this year, when Governor Pritzker signed an assault weapons ban, which was passed by the legislature, there's now 90 sheriffs saying they will not obey that. They will not uphold that in their county. 90 of 102 are interposing and saying, we will not recognize this. It's all being fought out in the courts right now. We'll see if they stand true, if, they, uh, if the courts stand with evil. But my point is, yes, this doctrine is found in the history of men. It's found in the word of God. And it's not just some archaic thing. It's needed today, and it is, thank God, to some extent being practiced today, but we're going to have to see it far more in the days ahead. Uh, that's a, a particularly impressive example of what this doctrine can do. And that touches on something that I've always observed, that the media apparatus and society uh, in academia, they kind of have this idea that if something happened long ago, that by definition, it's obsolete. Uh, the yes. idea of an eternal truth, an eternal principle uh, an eternal truth or an eternal principle has no expiration date. It, it is just as true now as it would be a thousand years ago or a thousand years from now. It, that's yes. how principles are. That's what they are. And we, we're, we're, in, we're um, inundated with this idea that uh, a progressive society and progress means, uh, you know, you're casting off all archaic laws, all archaic things. Everything is defined as archaic. Uh, it's, uh, here today, gone tomorrow, this constant revolutionary change where we don't have a, a, a sure footing of where we are as a society. How are we supposed to function? You know, we're told that we have to have change for change's sake. Everything has to be in a constant state of revolution. And I know a lot of your critics will probably uh, argue that you're some kind of revolutionary, but probably that's not true. Uh, Actually, it's kind of counter-revolutionary, isn't it? I mean, Orwell said, in a world of absolute deceit, telling the truth then becomes a revolutionary act. So in that limited yeah. kind of, uh, episodic sense, maybe it is revolutionary, but it's only revolutionary because we live in a world of lies. But actually, it's counter-revolutionary. The real revolutionaries have been those that are upholding this status apparatus and putting us on this constant merry-go-round where we, we don't know where North is, we don't know what right and wrong are anymore. And so we're slowing yeah. this thing down. If you're, you're slowing it down. In fact, you're stopping the merry-go-round and putting our feet on the ground. Maybe our head is in heaven, but this is how I'm kind of picturing this. That's a good point. The, when um, the lesser authorities interpose, they're often accused by the tyrants and their lapdog media of being anarchists or creating chaos. Um, Pritzker did this with the 90 sheriffs, referred to them as these outlier sheriffs who are going to lose all their jobs if they don't do what I say and what the state says. <laughs> and he later had to admit he really couldn't do anything, but the voters would have to remove them. You know, And um, so uh, it's very important to understand it's, it's, 
the legislature, for example, it's Pritzker. They're the ones who have practiced anarchy. They're the ones trying to invoke chaos within society by their assault weapons ban. They're going against the founding document of our nation, um, the U.S. Constitution, and they were infringing upon um, the state constitution of Illinois also. And these lesser authorities who are saying no and not going along with the evil, they're not the anarchists. They're the ones actually trying to restore order from the evil and lawlessness of the superior authority who thinks they can do just whatever they want, whatever tickles their fancy, like you said, make it up as they go. And, you know, this constant change, right? No, we have sure foundational documents that men um, pillared in the founding of our nation that must be respected and were put there for a reason, precisely to tame tyrants. Is there a connection between uh, the Magdeburg Confession and going back to the Magna Carta? Yeah, there's a connection in the sense of both were acts of interposition. Um, Magna Carta, of course, King John there at Runnymede, the nobles, again, the lesser magistrates with their swords <laughs> met with him and were like, um, you've been doing all this wrong stuff. Here's our document. And he signed the Magna Carta. And of course, history took place after that. But the point is, they interposed and he signed it, right? So interposition against the evil that King John was doing. Then later with the Magdeburgers, same thing, interposition. Understand if it wasn't for the interposition of Magdeburg, the entire Reformation would have likely just been a blip on the radar screen of human history because everyone else out of fear of the state was complying with the evil that Charles I was doing. So this matter of interposition is massively important. We see it in Illinois with the Madison County example I gave you, even in our day. So yeah, they're all connected to each other in that they were all acts of interposition. Interposition is where you stand in the gap between the oppressor and his attended victim. Understand their interpos the interposition of lesser authorities is massively important because the superior tyrant civil authorities always count on the blithe compliance of the lesser authorities in order to get their evil down in the fabric of society. Understand also the proof text about interposition, which there's scores of Bible verses dealing with interposition. The proof text would be Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 27 through 31, where God says, I'm looking for a man to stand in the gap. There's evil in the land. And one of the people, groups of people he looks to, to stand in the gap are the princes. They were the lesser magistrates of that day. But then God says, but I could not find one. And therefore, he brought his judgment upon the nation. Understand the interposition of the lesser authorities is so massively important, Mark, it can actually abate the just judgment of God on a nation where evil is abounding. I always remember what Thomas Jefferson said, um, God is just, and I tremble when I think that his justice won't sleep forever. Um, there's a sermon if people go to our website, defytyrants.com, is our website, defytyrants.com. And we have sermons there, and one of them is entitled Deuteronomy 21, Innocent Blood and America's Lesser Magistrates. And I think that 
uh, sermon will be very instructive for people. And you have to understand um, when you don't interpose against evil when it's first brought on a nation, people accommodate themselves to the evil. And the next generation just views it as acceptable norms. And that's been going on for decades and decades in America now. And you look at where we're at right now, Mark, um, we are completely worthy of the just judgment of God. I believe, you know, we got a little taste of him unleashing the tyrants upon us regarding the pandemic and, uh, and other ways of this nation also. But people often ask me, they ask me, Pastor Matt, how do we reform the church? And the reason they ask that is because they see that, you know, Christianity in America is in a bad way. In fact, Christianity throughout the West is in a bad way, um, including the UK. And I always respond with the same answer, by the judgment of God. And the reason I say that is, is because you have to understand we have a form of Christianity that's incapable of reforming itself. And Christ will reform his bride. He will purify us. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And so he will reform his bride um, by his judgment, um, by hardship, uh, by unleashing the tyrants, um, through a host of other means that God's brought his judgment down through the history of men. And so what is our duty in the midst of the judgment? Our duty is to confront the evil to confront the tyrants, to confront the idols of our age, and to call men to repent. So I always tell people, it's not an either or. It's not like you get involved on all the civil government matters to the exclusion of declaring the truth of God's word out in the public venue. I go to the universities regularly to open air preach um, and to pass out tracts and literature of all kinds to people to talk with them, um, go to the high schools, go to busy intersections, It's not you do one or the other, although there will be people who do one or the other, but we have to remember as a body, as the body of Christ, it's not an either or. We have to call men to repentance and faith in Christ. We have to declare what's true about God's word to men. And we also need to go to the magistrates and declare to them as his ambassadors what's true, what's right, what's wrong. This is massively important. We didn't even have time, and I'm sure we don't have time now, We didn't even get to go into um, God's law being the objective standard to which all men and all governments of men are accountable. accountable. That was a a keystone in Western civilization for well over 1,500 years, is that God's law is the higher law to which all men and all governments of men are. All Western men believe that, whether you read Alfred the Great in the 9th century, John of Salisbury in the 12th century, or William Blackstone in the 18th century, they all said that. It was the common thinking. Now God's law, the object of standards, been thrown under the bus, not only by the culture at large, but by most Christian churches. And because the objective standard's been removed by which we know what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, the state is now free to make up law out of thin air out of mere whim. And that's exactly what they've been doing. And that's why now you see good being declared evil, evil being declared good. And yeah, you live in the middle of an insane asylum at this point. That's how important God's law is to the nations of men. Yeah. And for our Catholic viewers, I would mention Dennis Fahey uh, from Ireland, 
wrote a book called The Kingship of Christ. And uh, that, you know, Christ the King in, in the world, uh, he should be seen as the King of Kings. And that society should be organically reorganized to reflect Christian values. In other words, Christianity isn't just an add-on or a supplemental thing. It should animate our economics. It should animate our institutions. Um, in in uh, Reverend or uh, Priest, the Priest Fahey's uh, belief. Um, so that's interesting. And I think in Catholicism, there's also subsidiarity where I think it says that the family should be predominant and civil authorities should only do what the family and uh, local governments cannot do. There's kind of a general similarity. Maybe it's a little bit more watered down, but a general similarity between subsidiarity and the doctrine of the lesser magistrates. But I read The Kingship of Christ by Dennis Fahey from Ireland. He's passed on now. And that's an interesting thing, too. You know, our economic systems, our political our, our organic culture should be, you know, infused with Christian precepts and, and Christian presumptions and principles. So there, there is cause for hope, and there is a, 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 a long yearning in both the Catholic and Protestant faiths, from what I've seen, for civil authority to answer to the law of God and have that be the objective standard and have that permeate culture. Uh, so it's 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 it get, there's a sign of hope, but as you're saying, uh, to get there, we might we might pay a pretty steep price if we don't mature ourselves as a society and interpose when we have to. Uh, otherwise, uh, that judgment may come, and it could become uh, a very high priced thing. Thanks for being with me today, Matt. Any parting thoughts? Yeah, just to um, hold your hold your spouse dear pour into your sons and daughters' lives, live faithful to Christ with whatever comes our way. When you see evil raise its ugly head, confront it. And yeah, denounce the idols and tyrants of our day. Extremely important to do as Christian men and women. Well, thanks, Pastor Matt Truella, for being with me today on this UK Column interview. Uh, it's been very interesting, uh, a, a topic maybe that hasn't seen the light of day enough, even in alternative media. And we're starting to fix that now. And so hopefully this will reverberate widely and people can take this into close consideration and look at the issues of their day at the place they live and um, apply it as best they can and spread the word to others. One more time on the pertinent websites, if you would, Matt. Sure. Our website is defytyrants.com. And we also have a Defy Tyrants channel at rumble.com. It's called Defy Tyrants. That's the channel. And also at YouTube.com, uh, we have a Defy Tyrants channel there also. If people are interested in hearing the sermons that I preach, uh, we have a channel at Rumble.com and YouTube.com called Mercy Seat Christian Church. Matt Trella, thanks for being with me today. And thanks for listening, everyone. In UK Column Land, we'll see you next time. I'm Mark Anderson.